as soon as I fell, someone was made aware and then like the competition stopped like, and people who are not medical or didn't have, you know, CPR training were ushered outside. So the rest of the spectators were in the parking lot. And then, you know, someone was checking my femoral pulse. Someone was, you know, administering CPR. Someone was giving me mouth to mouth, a couple of firefighters in attendance put the AED on me. And it seemed like everyone was very siloed, but working together in getting the best outcome possible, which, you know, I'm just like so grateful that these people were in attendance. Like someone was watching over me that day because, uh, you know, like only in a CrossFit gym, right? Like that you're able to have such a great community of people who are working together, who really just probably met each other for the first time that day. and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am very excited for this episode today. It's a little bit of a different episode. I have two guests. So today I'm joined by Jason Wang, who is a 33-year-old who's been doing CrossFit for over 10 years and recently suffered a sudden cardiac arrest at the AI Southside Brawl in Calgary, Alberta. So I am so grateful to meet you and for you to be here to join us today, Jason, and to, to share your story with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we are also joined today by Dr. Amir Jory, who also does CrossFit, and he is a cardiologist. He's an associate professor of cardiology at Queen's University and is going to share some perspective um, for us as well as a cardiologist. So thank you for joining us also, Dr. Jory. Thanks, Julie and Jason. Thanks for allowing me to be here today. Awesome. So I would love to just start, Jason, with you. I know. You've been an athlete for your whole life. You were a collegiate basketball player. You started doing CrossFit in 2011 um, and have been no slouch um, either. You've competed along the way. You were on a team at regionals in the past. Um, So you are a a lifelong athlete. My question before we dive into the recent events is, did you ever have any prior indication that there was maybe something going on with your heart? Uh, Nothing in my past and no uh, warning or trigger signs that would ever give me an inkling that this, something like this would happen. Okay. And so then I'd love to hear just a little bit about the recent events. So first of all, you decided to compete in the AI Southside Brawl. What motivated you to sign up? Are you someone who competes in a lot of competitions or, or what was your decision for, for doing it that day? Uh, so I, typically try to do two to three competitions a year, mm-hmm. including the open. Uh, and it's a good way to, you know, immerse myself in the community, see a lot of longtime friends. And this competition, the AI South competition was almost two years in the making because I had registered in March of 2020. And then okay. subsequently the world kind of shut down and, mm-hmm. We all got our money back and I was really excited to compete uh, in 2022 after like, you know, two years of waiting Mm -hmm. with a new partner. So it was a partner competition and 
uh, yeah, we were super excited and we were doing really well during the weekend. So uh, I was pushing myself pretty hard and my partner was really carrying me throughout that time. That's, that's awesome. And I can imagine it was really exciting to finally be back with the CrossFit community in person and at a competition. And um, there's probably a lot of positive energy there. How are you feeling? You said it was, it was going well. How are you feeling prior to the competition? And then can you lead us through the events of what happened um, on May 15th? Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, it was a two day event. So Saturday, there were three events and then Sunday there were three events as well. Okay. Saturday, uh, competed and did really well. And, uh, I think we were sitting in fourth or fifth place, mm -hmm. uh, on after Saturday. And then, uh, my parents had come into town on Sunday morning because I recently purchased a house. Oh, and they congratulations. To, oh, thank you. <laughs> And to get involved with, you know, the inspection and the mm -hmm. closing of it. So uh, I picked them up from the Calgary International Airport. They're from Ottawa mm -hmm. that Sunday morning. And I asked my dad, I was like, do you, do you want to come watch the CrossFit competition? And he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a little tired. Uh, I think I'll skip it this time. And I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I drove to AI South after dropping off my parents at my apartment Uh did two events. And after that, I think we were sitting in fourth. Okay. So the last event was coming up, which was a uh, kind of like a fight gone bad style workout. Whereas, you know, you go and then your partner takes off where you left off. Okay. And it was for four rounds each. And then after my third round, uh, I just felt pretty tired, like any typical event. Mm -hmm. And I want to go tag my partner. And then like, I just don't remember anything. Um, uh, and then when I came to, uh, a nice lady had her hands around my face mm -hmm. and she's like, Jason, like, just keep breathing. You're with us. Wow. And I looked around and I was like, where's my shirt? Uh, so, and then I looked down at my chest and I had like two pads on my chest and the gym was packed. And then the, when I, you know, swiveled my head, the gym was kind of cleared. It was like 10 people in the gym. Mm hmm you know, some people were crying. Uh, I was like, what's going on? Like, how, how, how do we do, you know, in the, in the event? You're like, how did we finish? That was your first question. Yeah. Wow. People were like, Hey, stay down. And then someone was like, Jason, your heart stopped and the AD had to shock you twice. Wow. Uh, so that was a lot to take in. And my second reaction was, Hey, my parents are in town. I'm buying a house this week. Uh, you think like, do I really need to go to the hospital? <laughs> and uh, the, luckily there were a lot of medical professionals, like every second and third person at the event was, you know, a paramedic, firefighter, nurse, doctor. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, we highly suggest you go to the hospital. And then, so I, the ambulance took me to the Foothills Medical Center, which is where the cardiovascular uh, specialty mm -hmm. treatment center is in Calgary. Which I also heard uh, that you actually walked yourself to the ambulance. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, so I was like, I, I'm, I'm able to walk on my own two feet, walk myself to the stretcher. Mm -hmm. And then they like, carted me and the gym was cleared. So I saw all these people in the parking lot who were, you know, giving me a, like a, almost like a, a round of applause to like, see, I was like, wow. okay. Yeah got to the hospital. I didn't have my phone or anything. And luckily a good friend of mine had, you know, taken my phone and my backpack to the hospital. And when I got my cell phone, it was like, 
thousands of like text messages being like, Jason, please answer this. Mm. Like, tell me you're okay. And I was like, what, what's going on? And then that's when I started piecing together what had happened. Uh, and my parents luckily got to the hospital and met up with me and made sure I was okay. And uh, it's kind of been a process of getting, piecing together the details of that night mm -hmm. uh, and that afternoon and just seeing how it's impacted other people as well. Mm -hmm. That is a lot to take in and a lot to process. What did you learn subsequently as you then had more medical evaluation and as you, you know, learned what had happened at the event um, when you weren't, weren't conscious? Um, so I underwent several tests at the hospital, including a CT head scan, CT chest, and then a cardiac MRI. And then I did a electrophysiology study as well as a, a stress test on the treadmill. And from a medical perspective, uh, the doctors weren't able to really find anything. They, they were like, wow, your heart actually looks really strong. And after years of CrossFit and your collegiate athletics career, you know, it, it's very strong and very healthy. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of unexplainable as to what happened, right? And the doctor compared it to what happened to Christian Eriksen, the World Cup mm -hmm. soccer player who now has an ICD. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're like, yeah, like it could be, you know, a number of factors, but we, we kind of don't know. And then uh, staying in the hospital was not fun. <laughs> mm. How <laughs> or, long were you there? Uh, for seven days. Okay. And uh, because of COVID, you know, I was only allowed a visitor at a time for an hour. Mm -hmm. And then 23 hours, I was kind of alone with my thoughts. So um, from in terms of like to answer your question, like what I learned, I'm like one the CrossFit community is amazing because mm -hmm. people were able to act quickly. And uh, if I was, you know, alone, like this podcast wouldn't be happening. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, which is kind of a lot to take in. But uh, for some reason, like my mental state is pretty positive throughout all this so far. That's incredible. Incredible. Dr. Joy, I'd love to hear your perspective as you, you know, hear Jason's story about just the response, you know, what happened on the site and then, um, you know, any insights that you have about why this might've happened in someone who's a young fit athlete. Yeah. So first of all, I wanted to thank Jason for talking about this. It's not necessarily easy for everyone to talk about this. And uh, certainly because it's been, you know, just a, a matter of days since this has happened to you and you're still processing this. So thank you so much for willing to talk about this because uh, uh, it really helps bring awareness to this issue. And you are in a perfect position to articulate what had happened and how to process this. So you're going to help a lot of people uh, by verbalizing this process that you underwent. And in terms of your questions, uh, Julie, what uh, Jason is describing is very typical for what we see in athletes who have undergone or survived what we call sudden cardiac arrest. And it's very typical in that there may not be any normal 
there may not be any prior warning signs and the athlete may not be aware of any issues with respect to their heart function. And then all of a sudden, usually around the uh, event or shortly after, there is uh, an arrest. And the other term for this is sudden cardiac death if the outcome is not good. And the only thing that can ameliorate this situation when that happens is getting AED, CPR, and emergency protocols initiated, which is what happened. So in terms of the the typical nature of this, usually the athletes are, are not aware. And this is why there's a lot of controversy in the field as to should we screen athletes before certain types of competitions. And that's what my group has been heavily involved with. Um, we led Canada's first guideline for screening of athletes. We were focused on varsity, varsity athletes. And so we published that in the Canadian Journal of Cardiology along with 12 other cardiologists from across Canada. Looking at this issue, looking at the value of screening and looking at the value of AED CPR protocols as were shown to be helpful in Jason's case. The other important issue which makes this typical is how shocking this is to everyone at the gym, uh, Jason's teammates, uh, the coaches there, the whole CrossFit community, uh, his parents, his family, and it would have been more devastating if the outcome had not been as good as it could be, uh, as, it, as it was in this case. And so unfortunately, it doesn't always uh, turn out to be that good. Uh, approximately three days ago in my community, a young lawyer uh, passed away uh, and he was a triathlete and that's uh, publicly uh, available uh, knowledge. And unfortunately, his uh, family is devastated. Uh, his whole community is devastated. Um, his uh, arrest occurred a few hours. We don't know whether it was clearly linked to his sporting event or not. Uh, he was training earlier that day. Uh, so I don't want to speculate. Uh, but in many cases, uh, we do not have a good outcome. So those are my initial perspectives as to what Jason described in terms of this being fairly typical and not knowing when this might occur. I can certainly tell you a little bit more about um, what are some causes in athletes. And I can certainly tell you about what we try to raise awareness about with respect to preventing sudden cardiac arrest in athletes. That would be great. I'd love to to hear about both of those things. Um, I think, you know, I am curious too. It sounds like in Jason's case, when he then had a, a thorough cardiac evaluation in the hospital, there wasn't anything identified. When you talk about screening, um, you know, what are, would we have? Would he necessarily have screened positive for anything? Do we think he would have? Or are there other situations where maybe? you know, screening is more helpful. 
So that's a great question. So what we think happens in cases of sudden cardiac arrest is that there is an underlying abnormality that becomes manifest during competition when there's this extra stress on the heart. So if the athlete is not putting their heart under that extra stress, it may remain quiescent and the athlete may not know at all that they have any problems with their heart. So it only becomes unmasked with competitive uh, exercise. And there's a number of conditions that might be unmasked in such a situation. For example, one of them is known as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is thickening of the heart and it's genetic. Another one is called arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, which is a problem with the right side of the heart, which is also genetic. Then you can get coronary anomalies uh, that might be uh, embryologic. So the athlete may have been born with those and they're functioning okay, but just when during competition or during those high stress situations, those anomalies may not work quite right and cause problems. And then there's also rhythm disorders that are much more difficult to, de to, de to detect because there's not necessarily a overt structural problem and there's more of an electrical problem. So I don't have all of Jason's medical history. I'm not privy to that, but from what the story details sound like to me is that this probably rhythm related because they would have done a number of tests that would look for some of the other causes which are structural, which would have been seen by the imaging tests. So for example, I'm a specialist in echocardiography, which is a cardiac ultrasound. And that's one of the things that I focus on in my clinical work is looking for the structural problem in the athletes that I see in my clinic, uh, I focus on in my clinic. And so sometimes there's um, a thought that perhaps we can do these tests prior to an athlete competing to see if we can pick up uh, any of these abnormalities and these red flags. The problem is that all of these tests have significant costs and there can also be false positives that lead to further cascade of, uh, of testing that may not be necessary. So that's the controversy where, um, you know, how many people do we have to screen in order to detect a case? And the, the truth of the matter is that it's very rare. Jason's case is very rare. We hear about it because it's so shocking to see in a young person and it devastates an entire community. And so that's also a very valid reason to think about screening people. Mm -hmm. So in our, in our screening guideline, we looked at both sides of this argument. And what we su suggested was that um, we, you know, some organizations are not resourced to do all of this testing before an athlete competes. 
And uh, if we mandate that they have to do all of this, then they may not be able to support competition, right? Mm-hmm. So what, we, what we've proposed is more of a tiered approach where you must have foundational CPR, AED, and emergency protocols in place for uh, an organization to promote competition. And then the next layer could be a history and physical examination that might suggest there's some abnormality requiring further testing. And so that way we kind of narrow and better target who needs screening uh, initially and we don't end up screening everyone with, with tests and worry about false positives or unnecessary testing. So it's a complicated argument. You can see mm-hmm. why there's a bit of a debate and uh, it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. It really speaks to personalizing the approach that's appropriate for that organization and that community. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, Jason, I know you said you had a lot of time um, to think in the hospital, especially without being able to have a lot of visitors, a lot of time just to think and process on your own. And um, you, as part of that, have really developed um, a passion for advocating for AEDs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think, you know, from this experience, it's about learning and proactively, you know, doing a couple of things that I think benefit myself in terms of lifestyle, as well as, you know, the broader community. So in terms of the broader community, I'd like to join an advocacy group to get, you know, AADs and CPR training in, you know, organizations. I made sure I'm at my law firm right now. There's an AD on every floor. So that's that's (laughs) great. Um, Yeah. And, you know, just joining a public advocacy group to, you know, Mm -hmm. have AADs at gyms and, ADs in public places because um, it's it's funny like the the doctors at the hospital were like you know CPR was administered on you for you know 10, 12 minutes by you know crossfitters who are really strong. Mm-hmm. How's your chest feeling? And I was like, you know what, my chest feels fine. Mm. Uh, and they're like, yeah, definitely the AD saved your life. <laughs> so uh, so that that was. Uh, that, that was a big takeaway for me just to, you know, be able to spread this message and uh, get more knowledge and broader outreach available for people moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, you know, grateful for that. And for you already, you know, as Dr. Jory mentioned, this has only happened just recently. And as you're processing all of it yourself, the fact that you're already thinking about how you can use your experience to help other people and advocate for something that's so important is really um, remarkable. Um, but it's not just having the AEDs, right? I know that um, I'd love to hear Dr. Joy, what sort of what the, the standard procedures and protocols are, but it's not so much as just having it hanging on the wall, right? Um, it doesn't do a lot of good there, but what are the other things that we need to have in place so that if something like this does happen, we can react in the appropriate way? Great question. So. With respect to the AD and emergency protocols, I would say for uh, box owners, uh, make sh- you know you you have one hung- hanging on the wall. Um, make sure it's uh, accessible, it's working, it's uh, powered properly. 
um, and so that uh, people know where it is. And uh, for competitors and athletes working in a, a participating in a box, just look around and know, you know, where is it? Uh, whenever you walk into a gym, I walked into another gym the other day and, and it, there wasn't one there and it was a new gym. And I was, I was thinking, okay, I have to talk to the owner and say, why, do, why don't you have one? And so it's nice that if you walk into a room or an event or even at a pitch somewhere or a field, um, we all can play a role, whether we're spectators watching an event, uh, whether we're family members, whether we're athletes, or whether we're coaches, we should all be aware. And we fall into the category known as bystanders. So bystander administered AED and CPR, as in this case, is very effective uh, in the case of a sudden cardiac arrest. And so uh, we can all be um, be bystanders in that knowing where the devices are and having three steps in mind, what to do. The first thing that's going to do is you, if you see someone collapse, run and get the AED and stick it on them. You are not going to hurt the person because the AED will not shock the person unless it's a shockable rhythm. So don't worry about hurting them. The second thing you need to do is um, have someone uh, help you and see if they're breathing and see if either you or someone who knows can start CPR if necessary. And then third, call 911, right? So all those three things, if you remember to do those three things, that's what you're going to enact upon when you see someone collapse, you're just going to do that. Then that takes away the uncertainty, the standing around and scratching your head. What should I do? Who's going to do what? You are going to do it. You're going to get the AD. You are going to tell someone to call 911 and you are going to check to see if the person's breathing. And certainly if you want to get even better at that, uh, places like Heart and Stroke Foundation offer uh, practice protocols, and they also um, provide uh, better training for us, um, provision of CPR as well. And uh, certainly our group has put together videos and information that we've vetted, uh, which I could pr provide to you in terms of links afterwards. Mm -hmm. So those would be, I would say, the, the take-home messages in terms of walking into a room, knowing where the AED is, quickly having a three-step plan in your mind. You are a bystander, you're there to help and um, helping to raise awareness about this issue. And uh, part of that is what you're doing here, Julie, is having this podcast, talking about it, um, and hopefully we can support more research in this area and continue the conversation. I think the point you made about, uh, you know, all of us being bystanders is bystanders is very important because I think, you know, as a gym member, you might think, well, the, you know, the gym owner is responsible for having the AED or the coaches, or maybe, you know, there's some medical professionals in class. So I'll just rely on them, but you never know 
what the situation is going to be. And I think um, in that situation, it's obviously very unexpected and very stressful. And so having already played that scenario through in your mind and knowing, okay, I know these three steps, I'm going to get the AD, I'm going to put it on the person, um, I'm going to start CPR if they're not breathing, and then I'm going to call 911 and visualizing yourself doing that. Then if you find yourself in that situation, um, instead of freezing, you're more likely to be able to do what's necessary to help them. Um, and, you know, just the same as we might visualize before a competition to visualize ourselves performing or visualize a difficult conversation we have to have in life or a work presentation, you know, visualization can be a very powerful tool. And this is just one easy example. If we, you know, for a member of a gym, just knowing where the AED is and visualizing those steps, um, you never know that could save a life someday. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. And, and of course, you know, wherever you are in whatever country you're listening from, there are great, um, you know, resources we can all share or certifications you can do to, um, to be more prepared if you're interested. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the CrossFit community um, or, or even the functional fitness community, I guess, would be very adept at this discussion because it's so community oriented and, you know, it'd be interesting to even put together a wad or something that's related. Okay, run mm-hmm. to the AED and just, just, just mentioning that. And then everyone in the world, just for three seconds, talks about where the AED is. Great uh, idea. Yeah. Wad or something like that. Could be a fun uh, warm up or cool down someday. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it raises, raises awareness um, and it makes it okay to talk about. Uh, and I think... Uh, we're uh, a community that's open to that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Jason, you obviously had some bystanders around you that really knew what to do in that situation. And as you mentioned, you know, you were really overwhelmed by the response of the community who was there and who, who weren't there, who reached out. Um, Can you talk a little bit more just about um, how important that was and what it meant? For sure. Um, so from what I've been able to piece together, there were so many like critical parts of that event that, you know, it was so organized, you know, as soon as I fell, someone was made aware and then like the competition stopped, like, and people who are not medical or didn't have, you know, CPR training were ushered outside. So the rest of the spectators were in the parking lot. Um, and then, you know, someone was checking my femoral pulse someone was, you know, administering CPR, someone was giving me mouth to mouth, a couple of firefighters in attendance put the AED on me. Um, And it seemed like everyone was very siloed, but working together in getting the best outcome possible, which, you know, I'm, I'm just like, so grateful that these people were in attendance. Like someone was watching over me that day because, uh, I, you know, I only in a CrossFit gym, right? Like that you're able to have such a great community of people who are working together, who, you know, really just probably met each other for the first time that day mm-hmm. and just to help, you know, save a life. And that it's just so amazing. It's incredible. I just got chills as you said, as you said that it is incredible, the, the CrossFit community and just how, um, you know, it reminds you. And sometimes when, you know, the world can seem there's so much, you know, so many things tearing people apart, you know, when, 
when push comes to shove and there is a real situation where someone's in danger, how people really come together and work together and really care. Um, so it's really amazing to hear that happen in your situation. Yeah, really amazing. And uh, it's it's just so like incredible that, you know, people were able to work together, not knowing what they each person does, right, in terms of career, background, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm just so grateful and blessed to be able to be here today. Yeah. What has, can you share a little bit more just about your time um, in the hospital and then since you've been home? Um, you're obviously a busy person. You do CrossFit, you're a lawyer, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you're sort of, you know, forced to just sit and rest and have this very sort of earth shattering realization. Um, what has that time been like for you? And then as you've worked back up to, you know, going back to work and, and moving a little bit more, what has that been like? So, uh, originally at the hospital, um, the doctors, because they were not able to, you know, find the root cause of what happened, they're like, Jason, you know, as an insurance policy, you should get an ICD. And that itself was kind of earth shattering a little bit mm-hmm. because I was like, you know, I feel fine. If you want me to, you know, do a wad right now, I, I, I think I'm able to, you know, <laughs> um, and Spoken like a true CrossFit athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, you know, I, you know, I played university basketball. I I've competed at re- like regionals like this. Why do I need an ICD? But so I texted my good friends who, you know, made the introduction to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, you know, do, is this ICD really necessary? And they're like, you know, it's part of, it's, it's an insurance policy and you could as a lawyer appreciate, you know, having a backup plan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Okay. I'll get the ICD. Um, so I got the ICD and then, you know, work was so supportive. They're like, take as much time as you need. I like being busy and the sudden realization, you know, came to me. And I think this is like the hardest part of all this, you know, uh, not to like bring religion or anything like, you know, God created me to be me and like, mm-hmm. you know, you to be Julie Fouché. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was suddenly almost taken away and whatever that means in like the biggest aspect of this thing called life, I wasn't able to, you know, fulfill that potential that I want for myself and others want for me. Right. So I was kind of sitting at home going crazy with my thoughts. And, uh, so I got the ICD done on March, uh, May 21st. And I was, I was back at work two weeks later, mm-hmm. just because I like using my brain, you know, mm-hmm. being stimulated and my colleagues are just amazing here. Right. So, um, I, I wanted to come back to work, you know, work for the clients that I work with. And, um, so far I haven't gone back to a CrossFit gym, but I'm itching to go back. Right. So, <laughs> uh, but I'm listening to the doctors to just make sure that everything's firing properly and I'll take my time to head back and I can't wait to watch again. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, we can't see, we can't wait to see you, uh, working out again whenever the time is right and your body's ready for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you shared a really beautiful post that I read on, on Instagram, just about how much perspective this experience gave you and how nothing is really guaranteed. Um, 
you know, how, how are you taking that? At least right now, obviously there's still probably a lot of reflection happening, but how are you taking that? What message do you hope to share with others um, that, you know, that you've learned that you, you, it seems like you have this, you know, new sense of, of purpose in your life and appreciation. Um, so what, what can you share about how you've learned from it and anything you'd like to share with others? For sure. So like, I think, you know, being a lawyer, um, you're always a little type A. I, I like to call lawyers in private practice insecure overachievers. <laughs> um, so, you know, not to like sweat the small stuff, you know, like, and I think part of this was always showing to me that like developing relationships is such a key part mm-hmm. of this, uh, this journey of life, right? You know, people reached out to me to make sure I was okay. I hadn't talked to them in, you know, 15 almost sometimes 20 years, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. so from my teenage years, but they had heard that, you know, something ha- had happened to me mm-hmm. and everyone was so supportive. So I want to continue cultivating relationships and, you know, being able to travel, being able to, you know, participate in the gym, living a healthy lifestyle, like all that stuff like contributes to my mental well-being and my ability to, you know, progress and, you know, develop myself. So that's something that, I'll never take for granted ever again. So that's uh, that's a huge takeaway from this whole incident. That's beautiful. Um, really, you know, reprioritizing what's most important. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, I I, I really enjoy practicing law. So that was something that I wanted to come back to right away because I enjoy being like the trusted advisor to you know a business or. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, working collegially with my colleagues to like get a deal done. So uh, I think part of that's just like my innate like competitiveness, mm-hmm. but also I like being mentally stimulated. So that I was like, you know what? I could do this with an ICD in my chest. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, anything else that you'd like to add, Dr. Joy? No, I just thought I would um, mention for some of your listeners that might not know what an ICD is, which is a implantable cardioverter defibrillator. And it's like a little pacemaker that's placed under uh, Jason's left clavicle. And it has a wire that um, reaches down to the heart. And the way it works is that if he has another episode it delivers a shock right then and there. And so that's the insurance policy that we're talking about with respect to uh, its similarity to an AED. He's got, he's, he's walking, uh, walking around with his own little mini personalized AED device now. And uh, so it's, it's a, it's a challenge because we don't necessarily want to put AEDs in everybody because there is some maintenance involved in terms of making sure they're they're working throughout a lifetime and um, doing battery checks and looking at the readouts. Um, but it's very uh, easy, easy to manage. So, and I don't think Jason's gonna have any issues uh, with that. Um, and it's nice that he's able to talk about that and, and people can uh, sort of normalize uh, that with, with people having, having AED. So I just wanted to, provide that information. Um, in terms of your question about adding anything else, um, you know, I, as I said before, I think it would be great if we could um, continue to talk about 
um, cardiovascular health in athletes in general. I think it's important. Um, there's an important um, crossover with mental health as well, and um, how to encourage uh, the young younger generation, especially who are who have gone through the pandemic, to to continue in sport and exercise. But how do we do it safely? And so that's why I think this conversation is very important, where we want to encourage more more sport, more athletes, more CrossFit, and we want to encourage safety. I love it. Wonderful. Well, before we wrap up, I want to finish with three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So we'll we'll rapid fire these for both of you. The first one is what are the three things you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Either one of you can go first. Go ahead, Jason. You go uh, you know three things. Uh, <laughs> Put you on the I spot. It, I would say CrossFit. CrossFit. Two is like a routine. I, I, I like to, you know, have a routine and, you know, whether that's waking up and going to bed. And then the third is just making like smart choices when eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, you know, don't sweat eating like cake and cookies and <laughs> desserts because I love desserts. <laughs> <laughs> you still enjoy yourself from time to time. That's good. Exactly. Wonderful. How about you, Dr. Joy? Um, so yeah, you can imagine I have kind of a very high stress, um, uh, environment. And so it's important to make sure you don't burn out and have, have a nice balance. And so that's why I, I exercise and I'm part of the queen street fitness group, uh, with, uh, storm McCall, uh, storm and Callum. And, um, I, I try to keep up with, with the young people like Jason there. It's very hard. <laughs> my, 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 my CrossFit uh, club is near a, a university. It's in the university district. So I'm one of the old people there and <laughs> competing against these people. That's awesome though. I love it. I always think that's one of the the coolest things about CrossFit affiliates is, you know, maybe you have, students um who you're working out alongside yeah, and well, they, they it take, breaks they down some like, of those hey, barriers is that dr jory what's he doing here <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a funny uh dynamic sometimes and i some of my students are you know competing there and uh my ma- some of my master's students as well so uh you know i th- i think that uh, the se- that leads to the second thing is, is the interactivity with networking and friends um, I think, uh, for example, uh, tomorrow I'm leaving for Seattle and I'm, uh, I'm doing a special session with the American Society of Echo where we will be talking about how to do ultrasound in athletes. So this mm, is great. awesome. Good timing. <laughs> yeah, great timing, actually. So um, and that's going to be you know attended by a global audience. So, so being part of something bigger, mm-hmm. being part of a network and uh, in tune with the pulse of uh, new um, n- new discoveries in science, I think, really keeps me motivated and feeling uh, healthy. And uh, uh, and then finally, I've been developing this passion for gardening. Oh, I, I love it! Know where that has come from, but uh, 
I, I could take a week of vacation and just work on my property and garden and work the land. So that's amazing. What are your favorite things to, to grow? Um, well, I, I really like planting trees. So um, this spring I planted eight Newport plums. Mm. So we, we can't get cherry blossoms to grow here and here in Kingston, it's a little bit too cold. So okay. Newport plums are supposed to be the next best thing. Um, and just, you know, looking at landscaping and flowers and that kind of stuff. I love it. That's yeah. awesome. Next question is what is one thing you think would have an impact on your health, a, a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something you're working on? For me, uh, when I work late, you know, like pushing through an agreement, um, like eating out. So maybe just being, uh, smarter with like packing food and things like that because the people downstairs uh, definitely know who I am <laughs> yeah I think we're all guilty of that it's unless you unless you plan ahead it's it's hard especially late at night yeah for sure so I I, I think for me um as I as I'm getting older I'm I'm finding recovery a little bit more difficult and I, I think some of the masters athletes might relate to that. I didn't think it would happen to me, but it's happening. <laughs> so, um, you know, really remembering to get more sleep and sleep hygiene, I think would really be helpful uh, in terms of all of my goals right now. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? You know, being able to do the things I love, being able to interact with the people I love, being able to pursue my passions, but with modifications as like time goes on. So that's, that's something like, because life is short, I'm able to pursue all the things I would like to pursue within reason. I love it. And so for me is this um, interesting, um, interesting intersection between work and fun that has been developing in my career. So uh, you know, as a cardiologist, I'm very interested in vascular health, uh, but I've been developing this interest in athletes' health, and uh, that's been growing. And it's this crossover between work and fun that uh, has really been uh, stimulating, and it, it is a nice balance and uh, keeps me motivated. I love it. Wonderful. Well, thank you both again so much for taking the time, you know, Jason, particularly again, for sharing your story, you know, something that is obviously, you know, very heavy and, um, you know, so few people have experienced, but thank you for, for sharing with us, especially in such a, a vulnerable time um, and being such an advocate. Uh, you know, I think that this, what I'm taking away from this is this is something very simple that all of us all of us can do just being a little bit more educated, learning about where the AEDs are in our environment and what we might do in an emergency situation can really go a long way. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Dr. Joy, for sharing your expertise um, as well about athletes and about using AEDs. And um, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Awesome. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.